What is up? Welcome to another edition of the Utilization Report Debrief slash Sheesh Report. Glad you could join us. My name is Marcus Grant as we are here to wrap up week 14. and We will plunge ahead into week 15. It is fantasy playoff time in plenty of leagues. So we are glad that you were with us. If you didn't make the playoffs, we're doubly glad that you decided to come hang out with us anyway. But for the rest of you, uh, I know there's a whole lot that you want to get to to uh, help you get closer to a fantasy championship. Of course, I can't do it by myself. I am joined, as always, by Dwayne McFarlane and Ian Harditz. And uh, gentlemen, this is when it is for real. Uh, I know that you guys were talking before the show about making some big moves uh, in some of your your joint teams there. Uh, I mean, Ian, you you had the foresight to go with the Dolphins defense. And so I, I applaud you, sir, uh, for, you know, for apparently seeing into the future because it looked great last night. Dwayne and I share like 10 or 12 teams we co-manage and God bless Dwayne for doing the heavy lifting on the waiver wire for most of the season but he will be the first to admit I do do a good job of looking ahead on these DSTs a, a couple weeks at a time so luckily at the Saints in the preseason had the Dolphins for the playoffs it's almost like Marcus maybe I said a couple weeks ago the Rams and Colts will then get us through these next weeks so I don't want to you know pat, hurt myself patting myself on the back here but uh, yeah it worked out for once. Uh, absolutely worked out, at least for the defensive portion of things. Uh, Dwayne, it did not work out so well for the Dolphins last night. They lose 28-27 to the Titans uh, in quite a shocker there down in Miami. Uh, maybe one of the big stories of the game, though, Tyreek Hill, who left for some portion of the game with an ankle injury, uh, did not have his full complement of routes. And it definitely showed when he wasn't on the field, this Dolphins offense looked completely different, not having number 10 out there. Yeah, I think this game was here to support Ian's, uh, you know, push for Tyreek Hill for MVP. Uh, Ian, I, lo yeah. I loved your tweet last night, which was, hey, the first half of this game should also be in his highlight reel because there are no highlights without Tyreek Hill on the field. <laughs> but look, if, if you have Tyreek Hill on your fantasy team, like you're probably in the fantasy playoffs because of Tyreek Hill. He's been that kind of difference maker. So you might have had to squeak one out. He and I did last night, you know, the ankle injury. He only had a 59% route participation, 10.1 fantasy points. But, I mean, he did manage to get back on the field. We'll have to really keep an eye on it. I know Twitter originally exploded. There was a lot of thought of a potential high ankle sprain. I don't know. I mean, maybe he was playing with adrenaline or he got a shot, and that's how he played through it. Obviously, he was in pain, and he couldn't really get on the field. Uh, for a full-time role. But you have to remember, this is a guy that him and Jalen Waddle, they don't ever play them 95% route participation. These guys are typically around 80 to 85%. So they do a lot of rotating like what you saw at the end of the game. So we'll just have to keep an eye on it, Marcus. I don't know how much of that is going to, uh, you know, bleed over into next week. We'll just have to watch the injury reports. Um, real quick update on the Dolphins' backfield. Obviously, Mostert had a big game. He scored you 23 fantasy points. But uh, maybe we're getting more of a, a 1A, you know, I don't even know if it's a 1A, it's a 1 and a 2 potentially here. Now, A-Chan still got his total touches. He got seven rushing attempts and six targets to get to 13. That's kind of been his sweet spot. If he gets to that 14 to 15 range, you're typically good. So only 12.1 fantasy points last night. So he is human, still looked good, just didn't score a long touchdown, and that's the difference for you. But most are at 65% of the snaps, 68% of the rushing attempts. That's 21 carries in that game. And obviously, he got the two at the end after the turnovers and that major night, 46% route participation. So really looking like over the last few games now where we've had Mostert and Achan together, Mostert is more of the lead back. I think you're still going to get scripts where they'll be closer together. But if I had to pick one every week, I would still say that Mostert's going to be in line for more touches. Again, Achan, if you have him, you're starting him. 
big plays are still going to come. He just didn't get the touchdowns last night. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think we're, we're still okay starting both these Dolphins running backs considering when everything is right, how much they score. Uh, things have not been particularly great for them over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I mean, Ian, you look at the Titans offense, New Hopkins sort of did his thing. Uh, Tyje Spears, though, seeing more of an opportunity in this offense. I know we were worried maybe early in the season that, you know, what happens if the Titans are bad? Do they trade the, uh, Derrick Henry? That didn't come to pass. But nonetheless, Tyje Spears is still finding his way on the field. Yeah, and honestly, you know, might have been able to save some fantasy seasons. If anyone out there really did think Derrick Henry was going to have a problem making this game, coming back from the concussion and all that, you know, it was a week ago that Tajay Spears was kind of on the tip of our tongues when talking about the biggest waiver wire addition. So we were thinking it'd be more as a handcuff without Henry in the picture, but just really good to see Spears be able to put up, you know, 17 plus fantasy points in a game where Derrick Henry is still getting his in his own right. So really with Spears, I mean, he is the only other Titans running back this season, not named Derrick Henry to touch the football so if you guys do still see him out there in fantasy leagues i know probably not your league but when you do go to yahoo you do see you know over 50 percent availability more weeks and not with the guys so again the handcuff potential remains sky high but when we do get these you know better than expected games out of will levis it's been a while pretty much since his debut here then we can get you know spears doing his thing but by the way shout out will levis guys i mean you know it's been a while since we had that four touchdown debut but over these last two weeks I mean, just this guy plays football like how I would kind of imagine that like he would play Madden, honestly. I mean, it's just like every single first down, he's lowering his shoulder, trying to truck stick dudes. He throws a pick six and he's trying to tackle the DN in the end zone. Reckless stuff for his personal health, but it is a lot of fun to watch on a primetime television. <laughs> so I appreciate Will for that. Appreciate Tajay Spears. But yeah, guys, otherwise, you know, dogs were barking. So final note here. When he mentioned it, Tyreek Hill, lead never run the playoffs. But how about Raheem Mostert? 18 touchdowns for the guy in the year 2023. I feel like we've been waiting for him to come back to earth ever since week one. But here we are going to fantasy playoffs, guys. And that uh, still looks very much like a weekly RB1. Gotta love it. Uh, absolutely. That's uh, a good thing to see as we get down to the uh, the important part, most important part of the season. There was one other Monday night game last night, and that was between the New York Giants and the Green Bay Packers. And it allowed, I don't know if you saw the clip that was uh, circulating on Twitter. One, yes, we got Tommy DeVito, but it also allowed us to pull up the clip from Twitter from the scene from Coming to America when Prince Akeem goes into Cleo McDowell's office and tells him about the Giants of New York beating the Packers of Green Bay by kicking an oblong pigskin through a giant H. It was a most ripping victory. Uh, it actually happened last night. That is how the Giants beat the Packers. Tommy DeVito, uh, who's become one of the big stories the second part of the season, uh, leading the Giants to a come-from-behind win. And, I mean, Dwayne, it's, it's been sort of fun, you know, talking about living at home with his mom and eating cutlets and all this other thing. But the Giants have won three in a row, and DeVito's, you know, he's been a big part of why that's happened. He's playing good football right now. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting when you watch the Giants. It's like they're just at their best when they're underdogs. Anytime <laughs> you think that they're supposed to be a favorite. So it's just all fitting. And DeVito has played, you know, well for being someone we have never heard of and how much people were bashing on him whenever he first got under center. Obviously, we're not going to mistake that for him being like the second coming that's going to just completely turn this team around. And speaking of coming to America, Marcus, like that's one of those moments where I look back and think, you know, my parents weren't really that strict. How did they let me watch that show? <laughs> How did I mean, Stand By Me is the other one. You know, I sat down to watch Stand By Me like 
10 years ago with my kids. And I'm like, whoa, time out. Got to turn it off. Just kidding. Mom and dad. Mom and dad are the only ones going to be watching this. But yeah, coming to America like is even like a whole nother level. I have no clue how I laid eyes on that before I was like, you know, 18. Um, but yeah, with, you know, Tommy DeVito, the one thing I would say on the Giants side for fantasy purposes is Wandell Robinson has kind of emerged over the last couple of games. You know, he kind of tried to earlier in the season. And then they went back to this weird rotation. But last night we had Paris Campbell inactive. We didn't see a ton of Sterling Shepard. So it does seem that Wandell Robinson is finally healthy. And they've settled in on him as their primary slot wide receiver. Now we will eventually uh, probably get Darren Waller back maybe as soon as this week. That's you know That was what Darren Waller shared with reporters last week. He's hoping to play this next game. But right now, Wandell is the piece in the offense besides Saquon I would want to have the most if I had to have a giant. You know, for fantasy football purposes, not saying that you really want to, but if you had to, he scored 17 and a half fantasy points last night. He, he picked up two rushing attempts for 36 yards. That's something we saw him do a little bit last year. So healthy enough to now be doing that. And he had that 82% route participation. He's still primarily the slot guy, like I said. So not on the field all the time, but he gets a lot of targets. Had a 35% target share last night, leading the team. So that's seven. So a guy that, you know, he's not going to score a touchdown for you every weekend or anything, but he can still get there in PPR formats. He's a guy that can give you 13, 15, 16 fantasy points, even without scoring. And the weeks where he scores, you'll be super happy with him. Yeah, we we you know, aren't expecting a ton out of the Giants pass catchers at this point, but it's been interesting the last couple of weeks, DeVito sort of unlocking some guys. Jalen Hyatt uh, had a big 100-yard game recently, Wandale Robinson doing his thing last night. So there's been a silver lining to everything going on with the Giants. Meanwhile, the Packers, uh, a key loss. And weirdly enough, the Chicago Bears still hanging around uh, with a chance to, to maybe squeak into the playoffs. Who would have thought it? Uh, but uh, here we are, and we about to start week 15, and the Bears uh, are still sort of with a little bit of life there. Um, meanwhile, things that might not have given you life, uh, if you're talking about fantasy football or maybe some sports betting, it was in the Sheesh Report. You can find that on FantasyLife.com. Ian Harditz puts that together every single week. All the things that left you a little bit frustrated and maybe discombobulated from watching football over the weekend. And the Sheesh Player of the Week, a guy who, Ian, might be a good candidate for Sheesh Player of the Year, uh, Jerry Judy, who just, I don't know, I watch him and it's just, it's like an experiment in hope every time they throw him a deep shot because you do kind of wonder if it's going to happen and then more often than not, it doesn't really seem to happen. I mean, Marcus, I think you put it best, man. Like, arguably a tweet of the year on your behalf uh, was uh, relating him to what the George Pickens of Gabe Davis is out there. So very well said, my friend. But yeah, with Judy, I mean, I wrote an article like two weeks ago, like fully saying we've missed on him as an industry, like fourth round pick. I personally drafted too much of him. Like, we've already established that and then this was just the icing on the sheesh of the entire season so he goes out there guys has a five-yard touchdown celebrates like everything was fine it was honestly exactly like the George Pickens play from earlier this year where he had so much room in the side of the end so you just assumed he got that second foot down actually he didn't and it was one of the quickest overturns you ever saw so should have had a five-yard touchdown there and then he had two objective drops on what could have guys been an extra 90 receiving yards between him and Russ on a pair of downfield shots so I'm going to talk in here 
here last week about, you know, the Sean Payton quote about Russ not looking downfield enough for Jerry Judy, and that was the case in week 13, but in week 14, Russ did look his way, and he just couldn't do anything about it. So I'm sure Steve Smith is watching that all 22 with a smile on his face, sadly, in week 14. I mean, Judy, I would have preferred if he was just a guy there because that performance was even lower than our already, uh, you know, very much in the floor expectations. Yeah, uh, it just it, it continues to bear true what Steve Smith said earlier in the year about Jerry Judy. Uh, Kadarius Tony might be getting a lifetime sheesh award for some of the things he's done, especially this season. Um, but how do you how do you line up offsides? I mean, just any time, but especially in what was maybe one of the coolest plays in the history of the NFL. You ruined it because you couldn't line up right. Uh, this is an all timer, Ian. I think it might be the sheesh of the year, Marcus. Maybe it is the sheesh of uh, all time at this point, because that was an all-time cool touchdown that, again, gets taken off the board by something that had absolutely nothing to do with the play, and that is what, you know, sheesh is all about at the end of the day. So, just wild on Monday, man, seeing Andy Reid come out and say that Tony didn't check with the line judge, but you know what? In the year 2023, everyone's always recording stuff on their cell phone, and then we see a view from the stands that did seem to show Tony going up there and briefly checking with the officials. So, I don't think anyone disagrees that he was lined up offsides. It's just more so the matter of like wide receivers do this like 50 times a game. It usually is kind of quick. And I think Reed's point was typically it's one of these ticky tack calls that you do see the refs, you know, kind of give a warning to if they think uh, something's going on because it's such a ho-hum moment in the game otherwise. So, you know, our fearless leader, Matthew Berry himself, kind of related to the Terry McLaurin play from last season where Terry did seem to quickly check with the official, maybe not, you know, quite adjust himself, but when it doesn't even impact the play, what are you going to do other than sit back and sheesh? So I go both ways on it. I'd certainly agree the Chiefs were being very annoying about uh, the outcome either way by the end of it. Lord knows they've had enough good moments over the years to uh, stomach a bad one here or there. But either way, Marcus, I think we can all look in the mirror here and just say sheesh. Yeah, uh, me thinks that Patrick Mahomes is upset about a wide variety of things. And it's the Canarius Tony call that kind of set him off. Uh, more than anything else, but I think I think there's just general frustration sort of boiling over there. Um, speaking of frustration, unrealized air yards can be very frustrating if you have these guys on your roster, and Zay Jones had a ton of them <laughs> this week. Zay Jones, man, 191. I did not have the leaderboard of the entire season, but that is one of the larger single-week performances, included what should have been a 61-yard house call on a play where his coverage defender fell down. Trevor Lawrence just couldn't quite put it on him. Number two on the week was actually Jonathan Mingo with 151, and just like our other guy, Zay, should have had a 45 five-yard touchdown. Sadly, Bryce Young overthrew that one. So, handful of other guys in the triple digits. Demarcus Robinson, Stephon Diggs, Chris Godwin, Jerry Judy, OBJ, and Noah Brown. All plenty of opportunity through the air. Of course, though, guys, we do have the season-long leaderboard, and as you can probably guess, number one on the season in unrealized air yards is none other than Chris Alave. 1,093, and nobody else is even over 900. So, I took the liberty of tweeting out that stat yesterday, and there's this phenomenon, guys, where you're tweet makes it out of fantasy football Twitter and gets into like real life fandom. We don't even give a shit about fantasy Twitter. And yeah, uh, I had a ton <laughs> of Saints fans yelling at me about this made up stat and everything. So just to be clear, guys, again, we're just trying to measure the actual amount of air yards, which is like it sounds quarterback throwing the football to the wide receiver, the amount of travels in the air, the air yards and the difference between the ones they caught and they didn't catch to hopefully find regression candidates down the line. So I know a little bit nerdy here, but 
but it is a real stat and it does help us uh, sheesh here each and every Tuesday over a fancy life. Well, speaking of frustrations boiling over, I'm sure Saints fans are just generally frustrated with their quarterback situation and their passing game situations. That's probably where some of that was coming from. Um, Desmond Ritter, uh, look, he's going to Bijan. Bijan's getting a whole lot more opportunity. Drake London had a really great game. But, man, you want to talk about just a missed layup uh, with, with Desmond Ritter and Bijan Robinson this week. Yeah, we saw some nice plays from Ritter. For, like, seriously, Drake London had a huge game, a lot of downfield uh, targets. I mean, Kyle Pitts got a touchdown. Like, if Ritter can just get those two guys going each and every week, we're going to be slandering him a heck of a lot less, uh, you know, each and every time we get on this podcast. But, sadly, you know, to start the game, Bijan was wide open in the flat for what should have been an easy two-yard touchdown. Just was not meant to be. Ritter sailed that one high and outside. So one of the worst throws of the week for sure there. But Marcus got to bring up the worst throw of the week, and that was Derek Carr under pressure. <laughs> decided to throw the ball to uh, his left tackle, Andrews Pete, out there. So somehow didn't get an intentional grounding call. I think the refs were almost too shocked to see what had just happened in front of their eyes to actually throw the flag out there. But yeah, I thought I'd have to bring that one up with uh, Carr there. That one was not pretty either. But yeah, guys, otherwise you can check out the full article for free over at FantasyLife.com. I got a countdown of players that were stopped at the one-yard line and did not score a touchdown on the same drive. I go through every interception to really try to assign blame and see if it was Roy, the quarterback, at fault. Defensive pass interference, penalties, you know, totals, all that, and much, much more sheesh. So, yeah, guys, week uh, 15 is finally here. Let's go win some fantasy playoff games. Why the hell not? 100%. Let's go do that. And to do that, uh, go check out Ian over at FantasyLife.com. Check him out on Twitter, too. But uh, go read the Sheesh Report at Fantasy Life. Appreciate it, sir. We'll, uh, we'll talk again soon. There he goes. Ian Harditz, always a good time to talk to and to, to read as well. Make sure you do that. By the way, the holiday season is approaching and the NFL is going strong. Fantasy Life has partnered up with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official partner of the NFL. And right now, they have an offer you do not want to miss. All customers can get a no-sweat bet on any same-game parlay or same-game parlay X. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up using the debrief promo code. And if you're a new customer, you are definitely going to want to listen up because right now on DraftKings, new customers who bet just $5 will get $150 in bonus bets instantly. Wondering what you can do with $150 in bonus bets? Well, you can combine multiple bets together for an even bigger payout. If sports betting is not yet available in your state, no worries. You can still join in on all the fun with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. All customers can use the promo code DEBRIEF and get a no-sweat bet. Get a bonus bet back if your same-game parlay or same-game parlay X bet loses. Max reward limits apply. That's promo code DEBRIEF, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. All right, Dwayne, uh, let's dive into the utilization report. Of course, for you folks out there, you can read that every single week at FantasyLife.com. And uh, starting a quarterback where... A couple weeks ago, we weren't sure what to make of Jake Browning. We were worried that we were going to have to maybe part ways with a lot of our Bengals pass catchers. But after the last couple of starts, uh, it looks like we might be onto something. Jake Browning, he's got that dog in him, uh, and not just because he went to Washington. I'm going to keep using that joke until I run it into the ground. Uh, but he is he looks, uh, you know, like he's got a pulse out there, and, and he's getting the ball to, to his playmakers, and that's really what we love. Yeah, I think he's definitely executing on the game plan. I mean, if you look at the yardage, Marcus, 227 yards in his first start in Week 12, then he had 354 in Week 13 in that upset over the Jaguars, and then this past weekend against the Colts, 275 yards. My one concern about this 
is something you don't typically see that goes along consistently with those sort of numbers. It's the average depth of target that we've seen from Browning. So if you look at those last two games, 3.9 and 4.7, he's essentially checking most things down or they're creating design looks for him with screens and things like that. Typically, that kind of thing can work for a couple of weeks, but once other defenses see it and they now have it on film and they know that's what you're doing, they're going to aim to take those plays away from Browning. Probably this weekend would be my guess. We're going to find out really how good Jake Browning is. I would very much expect them to force him. This doesn't always sound like a recipe for success. It's dangerous with the Bengals because you're saying, yeah, yeah, we're going to make Jamar Chase beat us. And you're like, okay, well, like that could work, you know, <laughs> Jamar Chase beats a lot of people. So I, I think there's still a chance that Browning's good. But right now, this really reminds me a ton. If you, if you think back to 2021 and those games with Mike White with the Jets, and he was going off for 400 passing yards, three touchdowns. And I remember going back and watching those games, and they looked very much like what we have with Jake Browning. It was all this dink and dunk underneath. I mean, this last weekend, he got over 100 receiving yards just between Chase Brown and Joe Mixon, and most of that came on three plays between those guys. So you're getting the running backs more involved. And, and the screen game is something that, you know, it can work when it's sprinkled in. But if it's all you're doing, it's something that the defense will key on. So for me, with Browning, I'm hesitant to move him up the ranks um, because we always have to talk about that, Marcus, after you have these kind of yardage outputs. And let's just be like fantasy points. He's 25.7 fantasy points over the last two games. So there's a lot of folks in my DMs. Hey, should I start Jake Browning over, you know, Jordan Love? Should I start Jake Browning over, you know, you insert name here? Like, I mean, I get all sorts of names. So anytime <laughs> you have this, you got to look at it. So I would say no. I'm not making those sort of moves yet. I'm going to stick with the guys that have shown me more over the course of the year. But I totally understand the question, and that's why I wrote him up this week in the utilization report. Yeah, uh, I've already heard some shit. I start Jake Browning over Patrick Mahomes. Oh, God. Uh, See? I'm... Mahomes struggles. <laughs> I'm... That says a couple of things. That could be a whole show in itself. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, I mean, the, the short answer is no. No, you should not. Yeah. Uh, anyway... A guy that you probably might start over Patrick Mahomes lately is Matthew Stafford because he has caught fire over the last three weeks. Uh, the Rams still just kind of teetering on the playoff bubble, but Stafford finally coming to life, and we saw Cooper Cup kind of come to life too. So things seem to be kind of turning around in Los Angeles. Yeah, the Rams are getting healthy on offense. Uh, to begin the year, they started off hot. Stafford was healthy. He was throwing for a ton of yards, but we weren't getting the touchdowns. Then you had the middle part of the year where their offense kind of sagged. It's like defense has caught on to what they were doing. It was weird. They even got Cooper Cup back, and it kind of felt like they were going to take off. They never quite did. Then, then Stafford picked up the thumb injury. They were in trouble for a few weeks, but it looks like now he's healthy. Also looks like Cooper Cup, the ankle is looking better. He, he looked much more like his normal self this last week, and if you managed to you know, uh, you know, have him in your fantasy lineup. That, and it was funny. Ian had another tweet this weekend that I thought was super funny, which is, look, the first time in like eternity that everyone is finally thinking, maybe there's a reason to bench Cooper Cup. <laughs> you got a bad defense. You got a bad matchup. You got, I mean, you got a good defense in this bad matchup. You got potential rain. You got weather. You got Puka Nakua on the other side. And what does Cooper Cup do? He just reminds us, just, just start good players. They're eventually going to come back around, and he's still a good player. But with Stafford over these last several games, Marcus, now what we have is the yardage totals are there, but also the touchdowns. He has got 10 passing touchdowns over the last three games. So he is just absolutely on fire right now. And look, the Rams have the weapons in the passing game. They also have Kyron Williams, who they love. But when you have Puka, 
plus if you have Cooper Cup healthy, and then you just mix in some of the other guys that they have, plus Kyron out of the backfield, I do think this can be a potent offense, and they just got through the Ravens. I mean, if he can come out and do this against the Ravens, who are one of the best teams in the league on defense, I do think that we can believe in Stafford now. I upgraded him to high-end quarterback, too, but you know how it goes. Depending on matchups for the week, that can put him into the low-end QB1 conversation. I have a league where I have Justin Herbert, and I managed to pick up Stafford in a trade just because I had Kirk Cousins earlier in the year, and and he was injured. So I was like, a couple of weeks ago, like just got him as a throw-in. And man, I'm so thankful now because I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good starting Stafford next week. In fact, I would have started him over Justin Herbert anyway. Yeah, I mean, he's got the commanders this week. You talk about what he did against the Ravens. If he can light up the Ravens, uh, feel pretty good. And look, he threw three touchdowns uh, against the Browns the week before that. So if he can do that against those teams, you got to feel pretty confident about what he can do uh, against that commander's defense. So uh, great to see him kind of coming to life at the right time for fantasy folks. Running backs. You talked about Jake Browning and throwing to the running backs. And Chase Brown had a huge play, a big, long catch and run for a touchdown on just a little dump off. Uh, Joe Mixon has far and away been the number one running back in Cincinnati. That's not changing, but uh, you believe the number two guy in Cincinnati might be changing. Yeah, it looks like Chase Brown has taken over the number two role over the last two games. Um, you know, he, he popped for 19 and a half fantasy points this last weekend, and it really was all tied to the one play I talked about with Jake Browning where he caught a screen pass and he took it essentially 50 plus yards for a touchdown. Right. And that was a big part of, you know, how he came through on the weekend. But over the last two games, he is averaging 23 percent of the snaps, 28 percent of the rushing attempts. And we really haven't seen very much Travion Williams over that spell. He's still getting in there for like a handful of snaps per game. But now Chase Brown has shown us that he can be a factor in both phases of the game. In the first game back, it was like, okay, he's there to relieve Joe Mixon and take over, you know, some of the rushing attempts. And then this last game, he had a 30% route participation and a 38% targets per route run. So again, back to Jake Browning, trying to design all this stuff underneath. If the Bengals offense can keep things going, you know, with this dink and, dink and duff, dunk stuff and I'm wrong, well, Chase Brown has a chance to really be a part of that. But the bigger factor here really for me, Marcus, is, Chase Brown, if something happens to Joe Mixon, like this guy looks very explosive. If he was in a larger workload, I could easily see him being a guy that we're like, okay, like the backfield's his now. He's going to be a mid-range running back too. You know, maybe a high-end running back too. You're essentially going to slot him in right where you have Joe Mixon. And Mixon, strangely to say, has actually been a bigger fantasy factor since Joe Burrow went down because now the Bengals have turned into more of a run-first offense. And again, the dink and dunk stuff is leading to more targets to the running back. So maybe not as high of a ceiling for the Bengals offense as far as touchdowns go. I do think that eventually catches up with them with Jake Browning under center. But as far as the running backs go and the way they score fantasy points, especially in a PPR setup, yes, I do believe that Chase Brown could have a lot of value if something had to mix in. This is a guy with a lot of carries, Marcus, and he's getting up there in age. So mix in is usually good for a little injury spell here or there every single season. Not saying we want any players to get hurt. It's just the reality of the game we play. So I do think that Chase Brown should be rostered in most leagues. I mean, we, we've seen in the past that the Bengals always wanted to have another running back in there to sort of give Mixon a break. I mean, for years it was Samaj P. Ryan. Uh, now it looks like it could be Chase Brown. Um, speaking of running backs getting a break, we had heard all week that the Chargers 
we're going to rotate some more running backs in there that maybe we'd see more Josh Kelly. Maybe we'd see some Isaiah Spiller, uh, and it wouldn't be a heavy Austin Eckler game. And I don't know that it necessarily was, but Dwayne, he still put out one of his better outputs of the season. So maybe the role change is going to do some good for him. And the, I don't know for the Chargers. The Chargers are going to be the Chargers. But maybe for Austin Eckler, <laughs> the role change will do some good. It's, so, it's funny how fantasy works sometimes. It can be a cruel game, Marcus. You know, we hear Josh Palmer coming back. Gerald Everett has a season-high route participation. Heck, Quentin Johnston had a 98% route participation. Justin Herbert, not playing this week. You know, it's just like, oh, all the reinforcements, <laughs> the Chargers are finally going to be healthy. Maybe they can do something. Austin Eckler looks better. Uh, no, we're not going to have Justin Herbert. But to your point on Eckler, um, yeah, he didn't have a huge role, but his role didn't change very much. He had slightly less from a rushing percentage standpoint, if you look at utilization, one of his lower weeks. But still, he got to his normal touch count. He had 10 rushing attempts. He's had 10 rushing attempts in three of the last four games. So not a huge change whenever we look at the raw numbers of utilization. Really, what I saw here, Marcus, was the hot hand really impacted Josh Kelly. They gave more of Josh Kelly's work to Isaiah Spiller. Now, anytime we expand the backfield to three guys instead of two, we never really want that. So I think there's some there's some potential for residual impact here on Eckler. But you mentioned it. Um, Eckler still came through with his fantasy points. And realize, guys, Eckler has rarely in his career career just been this true bell cow. He's always gotten there through the receiving game. He's typically gotten about half the carries, and then he gets engaged in the passing attack. And that's what we saw this last weekend. So I'm not overly concerned about it. Um, you know, his snaps were still good, 72%. That doesn't feel very hot hand to me. And his overall opportunities were really the best that we've seen um, over the last four games. He had 17 between his rushing attempts and his targets. So I think Eckler remains a high-end running back, too. Yeah, it's not the high-end running back one that you thought you were drafting, but still very much a must-start, in my opinion, in almost all formats, all leagues. I mean, you'd have to send me a screenshot. There are going to be occasions, Marcus, where, yeah, I could see maybe you've got a Zach Moss or you've got someone that's getting all this work as you're running back to that you're going to start over Eckler. I'm sure there are some of those situations, but for the most part, you're probably going to have Eckler in your lineup. Yeah, I mean, you talk about talent versus opportunity or plus opportunity. Uh, Eckler still ranks pretty highly among NFL running backs, so it's hard to completely get away from him. Speaking of that, you go to New York, and they say it's a copycat league, and it appears that the Jets are trying to copy the Austin Eckler motto with Brees Hall. I, for one, am here for it, Dwayne. Yeah, we're all here for this. Uh, you know, Brees Hall's not been as efficient <laughs> as what we saw last year, so we're not getting all the huge plays. There have been offensive line challenges for the Jets. Obviously, Hall's coming off that injury probably has something to do with it. And just the fact that, you know, this offense is really condensed around two players. It's all about Garrett Wilson and around Brees Hall. But if you look at Hall over the last four games, Marcus, he is averaging 9.8 carries. Not great. But that remember what we talked about with Eckler, 10 in three of the last four games for him, but 7.8 targets per game. He has a 25% targets per route run on the season. That's number four in all of the NFL for running backs with at least 200 snaps for the year. And look, we're not going to mistake in, you know, the Jets for being this, you know, super potent offense where, oh my God, we just want every piece of the pie. But when it can condense down to just two guys like this, and that's really where we are. Like Alan Lazard is forgotten. I know Randall Cobb caught the touchdown last week, but he, he's not doing anything. The other younger guys they have just are not demanding the looks. So this is where the ball's going to go. It's going to go to Garrett Wilson. And in these trailing scripts, Brees Hall has been able to at least remain relevant. And then this past week, 
We actually saw him get the touchdown. So when you add it all up, he had that 27-point fantasy uh, performance. And I do think there's an opportunity for more of those. So while many people had really soured on Brees Hall, the underlying utilization was really still telling us, look, at worst, this guy's a high-end running back too. If he somehow finds his groove as a rusher, like what we saw from him last year, then he would give you running back one upside. All right, so we are definitely still in on Brees Hall, not that we weren't ever before. I do think your point, though, that it is the Garrett Wilson-Brees Hall show, and I don't think it matters who's at quarterback. Those two guys are getting the ball a ton, and so that at least gives you a level of confidence to keep those guys in your lineup every week. Um, James Cook finally getting the pass-catching work we had been hoping for for a long time. I know you and I have been talking for you know the last year about how the, the Bills had all these pass-catching running backs and never threw them the ball. Maybe we just needed a change in play caller because Joe Brady seems to want to throw the ball to James Cook. And this is another really positive development, I think, for both Cook and for fantasy managers. Yeah, this is really big. What they're doing since Joe Brady took over as the offensive play caller, they're not only getting Cook the targets, they're also getting Cook the targets down the field. So his average depth of target, which last year was also a plus a dot. A lot of times with running backs, you see a negative number associated with their average depth of target because it's a check down behind the line of scrimmage. Well, Cook's not that kind of guy. They will put him in mismatches versus linebackers. They'll put him in mismatches where he gets to run these wheel routes up the sideline. And if he is in man coverage, you're almost seeing every time they will go to him. They also do these interesting plays where they'll put four wide receivers to one side of the field via motion. And then they'll put Cook into the route behind all of that. (laughs) So it's like suddenly, you know, you've got three guys running and Cook's the fourth wide receiver and it's just totally flooding this zone. And he's the guy that gets lost. That's how he scored the touchdown this last weekend from Josh Allen uh, once they got down inside the 20 yard line. So it's not just the fact that they're throwing him the ball. It's the designs that they're using. But uh, from week 11, week 12, week 14, the average targets per route run. 31% for James Cook. What's interesting is he's not suddenly getting all these extra snaps, Marcus. It's not like he's on the field for all the passing downs. Like, for example, Latavius Murray is still getting a lot of the long down and distance and two-minute offense, but this is proof of, like, how you have to really dig into these things sometimes, and you can just throw utilization in the trash, if you will, at times, or it just comes down to snaps and who's playing when, because there are certain players when they're on the field, they want to get the ball to them. We've talked about this with Bijan over the last few weeks, and now this is the case with James Cook. Yeah, not getting all the playing time we want, but when he is out there, they are really designing looks for him, and it's shown up in the fantasy box score, which is what we care about the most, averaging 20 points per game over the last three, Marcus. So this is a guy, like whenever you look at Cook and you factor all this together, um, I think he's really a high-end running back two now. I mean, you can call him mid-range running back two. He's mid-range running back two to high-end running back two, but he can give you these running back one performances. I don't think he's going to average 20 points the rest of the way. However, I did go back, and if this roll sticks, what he has over the last three games, I went back and looked at the historical data for the last 12 season, and that came out to a running back six finish on average with 18 fantasy points per contest. So the data actually tells me that I'm probably wrong. I mean, but anytime you have a three-game sample, I just try to be careful. I don't want to assume that this is going to be his role for the rest of the year. But if it does stick and defenses can't figure out a way to take it away, we probably are looking at a running back one the rest of the way. Which, you know, you talk about a high-end running back two with with running back one potential. That is sort of what we anticipated for James Cook at the start of the season. It took us a while to get there. But uh, we have finally arrived here in early December, so uh, good news for that. 
Uh, let's talk some wide receivers, and let's stick in that Buffalo-Kansas City game because we've been saying, and we're not the only ones, a lot of people have sort of landed on the fact that Rasheed Rice is the wide receiver one in the Kansas City offense, maybe not a wide receiver one overall. But, uh, Dwayne, it looks like the Chiefs have also sort of realized this as well, and it looks like they're expanding what Rice is able to do on the field. Finally, finally. Like, it just feels like we've been waiting on this forever. Now, he's been slowly ticking up you know, over the course of the season. And he's kind of hit these little plateaus and he had hit a plateau here recently where he is around 65%, you know, of route participation. What we want for a wide receiver is 90%. But in an offense like Kansas City, 80 to 85% is worth like 100% for a jet. You know what I mean? So everything's relative. I know Patrick Mahomes <laughs> has had his struggles this season. The Chiefs offense has struggled. But really, the connection between him and Rasheed Rice, that's not been a struggle. In fact, Rasheed Rice right now, Marcus, targets per route run 26%. That's first place on the team. That's one percentage point ahead of Travis Kelsey on the season. So this is a guy that when he's been out there, he has been earning targets. They have been designing him looks as well. He is a low average depth of target guy. They like to get him the ball around the line of scrimmage and let him work. But over the last couple of games, he has been showing more prowess down the field. He's a guy that's been pretty active in the red zone as well. So a lot of things that we really like, but for whatever reason, man, like they had just kept him in this rotation up until now where you got to have Justin Watson out there, Marquez Valdez, Scantling, Sky Moore, Kadarius Tony. A nice playmaker, I think we all realize, but at this point, we look at him as a gadget as a gadget player. So really had been wondering, why? Why would Rasheed Rice not be out there more? Well, we saw him break through this plateau that I just talked about. He had a season-high 82% route participation. He's averaging 19.7 fantasy points over the last three games, basically since he's gotten to that 65% plus. So if we just kind of take that as his new landmark, I do think he's a guy that deserves an upgrade. You know, he's their second round pick this season, getting 9.7 targets and 36.7 air yards per contest since he worked his way into a larger role in week 12. Again, went back, looked at the data over the last 12 years. That comes out to an average of 16.6 fantasy points per game as the wide receiver 12 on average. So I think this is really big for Rasheed Rice managers. I did give him an upgrade to mid-range wide receiver two territory because I do this in phases, but similar to what we talked about with James Cook, there is a chance that we're talking about a wide receiver one the rest of the way, especially Marcus, if they just finally throw their hands up and think, what are we doing? This guy should just be out there 90, 95% you know, of the routes. Would his targets per route run probably come down in that scenario? Yes, they would come down, but the trade-off would be being out there so much more is still going to most likely equal more targets. And if the Chiefs manage to get going and they get this offense really cooking, you have to think it's going to come through Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey. Like those are going to be the two guys where it's really going to come from. They can pick some things up from these other guys, but if they're going to get hot, they have to be the primary two players. I mean, one of the big stories about the Chiefs has been their inability to get anything consistently from their wide receivers. If they have locked in on a guy they think can provide something for them, it seems foolish to not get him out on the field uh, as much as you possibly can. So we'll see if that's the route they decide to go. In Baltimore, when you look at the wide receiver utilization, Dwayne, and I know you do, I mean, Zay Flowers is out there all the time. Beyond that, everybody else seems to kind of be rotating and through it all, it's the old guy. It's Odell Beckham Jr., who at least the last couple of weeks has really been making plays in this offense. Uh, he's he's not the Odell of old, but he doesn't look like old Odell either. It's somewhere in between for him right now. 
Yeah, the Ravens seem to be protecting him. Um, and like from an efficiency standpoint, it's it's working. Um, 30% targets per route run over the last five games. That leads the Ravens by far. He's actually leading the Ravens in fantasy points per game over the last five contests, despite the fact that he's playing half the number of routes that we have from Zay Flowers. Now, this is not a knock on Zay Flowers. He's been fine. Not quite what we had hoped for, but like he's a promising young rookie, but it really has been Beckham that's giving them more of the big plays. He is the guy that they're using to attack down the field. And it is interesting, Marcus, because what happens if they do suddenly decide to take Odell Beckham out of this rotation and give him more of a full-time role, just like what we talked about with Rasheed Rice? Because over the last five games, his route participation is only 49%. That's not enough to feel really comfortable. That's that's a boom-bust wide receiver four. That's, okay, I'm going to throw him in the lineup. He's been playing good. I hope they keep targeting him when he's out there. I can use him. You could even call him a wide receiver three, but... If he really, truly is feeling it and he's playing better and they suddenly gave him 75% even, 85% route participation, then you could be talking about a guy that could climb like into that wide receiver two conversation. But so far, they've continued to rotate him. They put Rashad Bateman into this rotation and then Nelson Aguilar. It's had, we, you talked about Zay Flowers. He's out there all the time. Isaiah likely, mostly out there all the time. But Beckham and these other two receivers continue to rotate. So we need that to kind of go away. He, he's still fine. You can use him in fantasy, but if for some reason that were to occur, I think we could be looking at a wide receiver too. So Odell uh, kind of producing in a limited role there. Meanwhile, Zay Jones, the most of Zay Jones conversation had been over the last few weeks is that he seemed to be a boost for Calvin Ridley. Well, the last couple of weeks, Zay Jones seems to be taking those opportunities for himself. And uh, does he get a bump from you after what you've seen? Yeah, I mean, Jones, there's there's a lot going on with him. Um, you know, he bat, he's pretty much battled injuries all year. So it, it's it's a situation where we're just now finally seeing him, seeing him healthy. And even last week, like he was on the injury report all week. So I don't even know that he's fully healthy yet, but he's definitely healthier. And with Christian Kirk now on IR, he's locked into this larger role. Uh, 93% route participation, which is also what we saw in week 13 after Christian Kirk went down. And he had a 31% target share in this game, Marcus. 14 targets in week 14. So anytime we see something like that, we're going to raise an eyebrow, and then you're going to go look at the history of the player. Well, guess what? We've got a history with Zay Jones of him coming through with these sort of spike weeks whenever it comes to targets. It's still going to be a pretty evenly distributed passing game because you've got Evan Ingram involved. We'll talk about him in just a little bit. You've still got Calvin Ridley. But Zay Jones is now the third part of that. And there are going to be games where he can come up with 8 to 12 targets. And in those, with Trevor Lawrence, most of the time, he's going to give you fantasy points. You're rarely going to have a situation. As much as Trevor Lawrence hasn't lived up to our expectations, now he's playing better over the last several games. That's the other factor here. Trevor Lawrence, even with that, with the injured leg or with the injured ankle, threw for over 250 yards. He did that like twice in the first six games, and now he's doing it almost every game here recently, even when injured. So when you have a quarterback that's playing better than, like that, that means now you have the ability to support multiple fantasy weapons. I don't lock this in as a team where I feel comfortable with all three guys every week, but I do think two of them can get there pretty much on a week-to-week basis as long as Trevor Lawrence can stay healthy. Um, but if we look at Jones and that history, um, you know, the average, you know, finish as a wide receiver 31 based on the history, you know, going back and looking at utilization and efficiency data 
But looking at him specifically, he had some really big spike games last year with Trevor Lawrence. He had a 25-pointer, a 26-pointer, a 22-pointer. He had a 35-point outing. So this is a guy that could make a major difference in the fantasy playoffs. If you're playing DFS while his salary is still a little bit you know, suppressed, I think he's a really good name to remember because he can blow up for these 25 to 30 point outings. And that's what we're looking for. That's what wins our fantasy matchups. Yes, you could take a little bit of a dud here or there, but again, some of that is taken away because we still have Trevor Lawrence throwing better. So a dud now is seven to eight points. A dud four weeks ago was you might get two points. So that's definitely a factor as well. But I've upgraded him to a mid-range wide receiver three with wide receiver one spike potential. One of the concerns early in the season about the Jaguars is just there were too many places to go with the football. Uh, still a lot of options for Trevor Lawrence. One fewer, though, now that Christian Kirk uh, is out for at least the remainder of, of our fantasy season. We know that. So we'll see if Zay Jones can take advantage of that. Um, I love the note you put in the show sheet here about Drake London. Imagine him not in Atlanta. And it did warm my heart a little bit thinking about him, uh, thinking about uh, Bijan Robinson thinking about Kyle Pitts going somewhere where they could be utilized to their full potential. But at least for one week, we saw what it looks like when you feed Drake London a whole lot of targets. Uh, we, we saw why the Falcons put a high draft pick on him. Now, if only we could just re replicate that for a few more weeks. Yeah, I mean, he came in with a 29.2 fantasy points this weekend, 10 catches for 172 yards. Um, the big issue here for London, and we've talked about it, so I, I won't belabor it too much, but it's a run-first team for the Falcons. They, they've, they've avoided a negative drop-back rate over expectation only four times all season. This is one of those games. So that means that they threw the ball more than what we would expect versus the league average. They rarely do that. Then what else happened? Desmond Ritter actually had a good game, and that probably had something to do with them being willing to throw the ball uh, more than expected because they probably thought, okay, he's feeling it. The game script calls for it. We're actually going to let Desmond Ritter get back here and do his thing. The Bucks have been torched by a lot of good, by a lot of passing games here recently. So the matchup probably dictated some of that as well, but the challenge has been here, Marcus, not Drake London. He's been fine. Like, I mean, he has a 22% target share on the seat on the season. He's had at least a 20% target share in every game except weeks one and week three. So he's been really consistent as far as earning targets. This is a very good player. In fact, I think you could probably look across the NFL right now, and there are 10 to 11 teams by my count where he would be their wide receiver one immediately, and he would probably be a wide receiver two to wide receiver one in fantasy. Some of that depends on when I looked at those teams, do they have a good quarterback or not? Um, is he just going, is he trading off one bad quarterback <laughs> for another? But this gives you an example of whenever he does get a good quarterback game, there is a lot of upside with Drake London. So if you are in a dynasty, league like this is a guy that I want to still be trying to buy it's a guy I don't want to be selling away if you add it all up and you just look at all the factors Marcus I do think based on history and looking at this utilization and his underlying talent profile he is a wide receiver too that's producing like a high-end wide receiver four completely because of his environment it's just too many factors going against him you know if you look at his target earning ability you know, he should really be averaging based on history, almost 15 fantasy points per game around 14 and a half, but he's got 11.9 this year. And it really does come back to, they just don't throw the ball enough. And then when they do, you know, it can really hurt when you don't have a very good quarterback, you know, Desmond Ritter put some nice, nice plays on film this weekend. So we'll see if he can build off that and keep it going, Marcus, but London remains a low end wide receiver three for me this year. 
But I still think that there's the upside to get to that wide receiver two range next year. Hopefully, the Falcons will be able to bring in a new signal caller. Maybe we get Kirk Cousins. Maybe, you know, maybe they finish. Sorry, Falcons fans. Maybe they just lose out the rest of the way and they're in a position to draft a good quarterback. (laughs) Because right now, I do worry for London, Marcus. I don't know what your thoughts are here, but it's starting to feel like Allen Robinson. You know, it's starting to feel Garrett Wilson's kind of in the same boat, but at least they signed Aaron Rodgers. We knew there was a chance. But I'm hoping that this isn't another one of these guys that just gets stuck, uh, you know, in, in that quarterback purgatory, you know, where their team is always just good enough that they can't get their hands on a good quarterback to upgrade the offense. And that's my main concern with London over the long term right now. I mean, I think it's London. I think it's Pitts. I think both of these guys yeah. are, are people that we look at as, you know, in, in insanely talented players who just it feels like they are locked into a really bad situation so that it's, there's, there's just naturally going to be a cap on what their production can be. Um, but we'll say, but you're right, with the, the Falcons, right now, a playoff team, the chances of them getting a high draft pick and, and being in position to get a, a solid quarterback uh, seems pretty slim. And we'll see, you mentioned Kirk Cousins. Maybe there's somebody in free agency they go out and get. Speaking of quarterbacks that uh, were signed kind of off the street, Joe Flacco has come out and, and looked pretty good. I mean, two starts, he's got five touchdowns. Dwayne, he has one fewer passing touchdown than Kenny Pickett, and he's only played two games so far this year. Um, Amari Cooper reaping the benefits, his first full game with Joe Flacco, seeing 13 targets. Uh, I mean, I think this just speaks to the power of what it means to have a veteran quality quarterback in there taking over when you lose your starter for some point. Yeah. And a guy that can just hit timing plays. That's huge for Amari Cooper. Um, Amari Cooper is a guy that wins quickly, typically off the line of scrimmage. He's really good on slant plays, comeback routes. He can still do the crossers and the verts and all those sort of things as well. But Flacco is a guy that can, you know, hit his back foot, you know, on his drop and get the ball out. That's not something that we've seen from any of the Browns quarterbacks this year. So I do think this is really big for Amari Cooper. And he delivered 14.7 fantasy points last weekend, 13 targets, Marcus, in his first complete game with Flacco. So looking at Amari in that first game with Flacco, he got hurt. So he had the rib the rib injury and the concussion issue. And so we didn't get to see him finish. But in that game, he had a 33% targets per route run. This last weekend, he was at 30% targets per route run. So this is the number one guy in the offense. And to your point, just having that veteran presence that can get in there, just run the playbook, execute on what they have called. I mean, this is Stefanski's a good play caller. They've been dealt a rough hand this year with all the quarterback injuries, skill position players in another lineup. They lost Nick Chubb. They've battled through some offensive line injuries. But it looks like Amari Cooper and David Njoku could peak at just the right time for fantasy managers. Teams are going to get some film on Flacco. You know, these are the first two games back. So you can't expect, you know, 300 300 yards passing every week. But from what I have seen from him so far, Marcus, I do think – 250 yards is in play. And that's kind of the magical number if you want to be able to support two weapons in the passing game. So I feel really good about Amari Cooper, David Njoku. If either one of them are the odd man out in a week, it's probably going to be Elijah Moore. But I do think that Cooper is locked in as a guy that he really could give us some wide receiver one performances down the stretch. Yeah, um, and, and that's good to see. I mean, again, We've talked about it with so many other guys, right? You don't necessarily need a spectacular quarterback. You just need a competent one. And Joe Flacco has proven that he is more than competent. I mean, this is a guy who won a Super Bowl once upon a time. So uh, hopefully that holds for the Browns for the rest of the year. 
Meanwhile, in Chicago, I know the debate sort of rages on about what to do with Justin Fields going forward if you were the Chicago Bears front office. One thing is for sure, uh, we have seen he and DJ Moore work very, very well together. Moore was pretty good when they had Tyson Bajant for those few weeks, but more with DJ Fields is just on a different level, Dwayne. Yeah, more with DJ Fields is the best. We love DJ Fields. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. No, I mess with, hey, it's usually I have to call it out when you do. I mess my words up all the time, and like you rescue me. So no, sorry, Mark. Uh, yeah, twenty-two point seven fantasy points. Oh, good. Game, uh, with Fields under center, so like it's just been. Uh, yeah, he still got his targets and stuff with Bajant, but when he and Fields are together, it's just a, it's a different dynamic. And Fields obviously. He adds more for the defense to worry about. So if you're a, a one-man wrecking crew on offense like DJ Moore is, the more that the defense has to worry about something in the run game, the scrambling, those sort of things that you get with Justin Fields, the more that it's going to help that wide receiver. Because we we typically need at least another threat in an offense. We, we want three. And I do think that the Bears like Komet, Darnell Mooney, they're good enough, like that they at least demand a little bit of attention from a defense. But with DJ Moore right now, Marcus, 2.81 yards per route run on the season. That's wide receiver one worthy based on historical data. He has a 29% target share with Justin Fields under center, averaging 8.3 looks per game. So I have upgraded him to low end wide receiver one status. We've just had, we've got too many games on record now with him and fields together. And that's what he's been. He's, you can argue, I, I have him too low that I should have him more like a mid range wide receiver one. And it was really nice last week. That was my most rostered player over on uh, DraftKings. We love DraftKings. He was at 6,500. I haven't checked the salary yet this week, Marcus, but my guess is it's still probably too low because he should be in that range with Mike Evans, guys like that, where he's 7,500, 7,700. Well, there we go. Uh, Justin Moore and DJ Fields working well <laughs> together in Chicago. <laughs> Making it happen down there. Uh, let's talk some tight ends before we finish up. And Dalton Kincaid has been great for fantasy managers. He was playing really well with no Dawson Knox. Knox comes back this past week for the game against the Kansas City Chiefs. And we still see a lot of Dalton Kincaid. So we can breathe a sigh of relief, I, I assume, about Kincaid's role in the offense. Look, it's it's Knox's first week back. So it's obviously something that we have to monitor. But the first data point is very encouraging. It looks like we're going to get to continue on with Dalton Kincaid as the number two option in the Bills offense, which makes him a mid-range tight end one. If you looked at Knox before, or if you looked at uh, Kincaid before Knox left, you know, so that was week seven. Um, when he got that wrist injury, you know, he was, you know, at a 67% route participation over that group of games. And then if you look at all the games since then, up until this last week, when Knox was back, that had climbed 17 percentage points. And we saw that really hold this last weekend. He had an 88% route participation. So that's one of his actually better marks of the season. And he had a 19% target share. I saw some original reaction on social media that, oh my gosh, you know, the uh, the target share was down, but like, if you look at the underlying targets, like it was still seven, you know, on the game. So that's plenty of looks and a bill's offense. I think you're still going to get these games where Kincaid is going to give you more than that. He came up small in the box score. I mean, not terrible for a tight end, but 7.1 fantasy points. This is a guy that you kind of got used to getting 15 points out of per game in a PPR. So I get it. There was a little bit of disappointment, but I don't think it had anything to do with Dawson Knox's return. I think it just had to do with the way that that game happened to play out. So I really do expect Dalton Kincaid to continue on like what we, like what we have seen in this stretch of games without Knox. We'll keep an eye on it and we'll let folks know if something does change. Just on a side note, the role that changed a little bit more was really for Khalil Shakir. This was the least amount of 11 personnel that we've seen 
um, from the Bills, I want to say since like week two or three. So Knox did send them back into a situation where they could run more 12 personnel. But remember, they got out to a, a lead here over the Chiefs as well. When teams pick up a lead, you will see more. Uh, you'll see them use two tight ends more. You'll see them use a fullback more, depending on like, you know, what they have on their roster. And for the Bills, they are a team that likes to use the two personnel, the two tight end personnel stuff. They call that 12 personnel. But um, I think with Shakir, it's still though, like a guy that, was playing bet still had a bigger role than what we saw before the injury. Like he still hung on to a 65% route participation. So he does get a downgrade, but I do see Kincaid hanging in there and Shakir didn't completely get wiped off the map. Yeah. I think for us, you know, making sure that Kincaid still has a viable role is important because we want as many viable tight ends uh, as we can get from now till the end of the season. Speaking of which Evan Ingram, um, he'd kind of been hanging around amongst the top 10 tight ends, but you know, the yardage totals hadn't been great. We finally rejoiced last week when he finally scored a touchdown, got two more this week, but I mean, look, that's great. We always want touchdowns, but Dwayne, the targets, the yardage totals, all these things are creeping up in the absence of Christian Kirk right now. Yeah. A monster over the last two weeks, 10 and a half targets per game and 27.9 fantasy points. And if you think about Evan Ingram and the type of player that he is, He's this athletic tight end that gets to work inside against linebackers, against safeties. Well, where was Christian Kirk? Where was Christian Kirk playing from the slot? Now he got a lot more vertical stuff, but essentially they compete for a lot of the same type of targets. And with that now being Parker Washington versus Evan Ingram versus Christian Kirk versus Evan Ingram, the scales have really tipped in Evan Ingram's favor. So he's getting the targets that he was already getting, and he's picking up some of that work from Christian Kirk. So it makes sense that he is the guy that's getting the biggest boost from having Kirk out of the lineup. The question is, you know, what do defenses do? Are they going to change it up and try to take that away and get more defenders in the middle of the field, take away some of those underneath routes where he's so good? Or are we going to see a scenario where they continue to want to pay attention to the guys on the outside with Zay Jones and with Calvin Ridley and basically let you try to beat them with these passes to the middle of the field. And if that happens, like Evan Ingram's going to stay hot. He's going to continue to have more value than what he had early, earlier in the season just because of the nature of the way their offense is set up. He's going to continue to get a few more targets. It's just a matter of does he continue to boom. Obviously, there's nowhere to go but down from, from here when you score 27.9 fantasy points <laughs> per game over two games. I think you still feel really good about him. His 22% targets per route run is now number one on the Jaguars for the season. So technically, he is their top option. He is their top option. You know, a team that could use a player like Evan Ingram, I'd say like the New York Giants, they could use a guy like that. Who knows? Um, just throwing that out there. <laughs> but uh, it's good to see him finally kind of come into life in this Jacksonville offense in the later part of the season. Uh, there it is. Uh, our little quick overview of the utilization report for more detail you can go to fantasylife.com go check the whole thing out uh, check out our utilization suite of tools while you are there and if you are so inclined signed up for the newsletter that comes to your inbox every single day always informative always entertaining uh, worth checking out as you uh, get ready for your day to help you get smarter and better about your fantasy life your betting life all those things uh, to help you with uh, you know enhancing your football viewing in the meantime That'll do it for this edition of the Utilization Debrief slash Sheesh Report. I uh, want to shout out Ian Harditz uh, for stopping by the show. And for Dwayne McFarland, I am Marcus Grant. Enjoy the week, everybody. And we'll talk to you again real soon.